Data Delinquent, a podcast that's one part data, two parts crack, served with a splash of booze. You must be truly desperate to come to us for advice. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good, good. Got the wine in, so I'm a happy man. Uh, I've got the beer and the whiskey in. Hello. How are you? Hiya. Oh. And the gang's all together. I'm part of a gun! <laughs> it's like Ethan Blyton! Oh. <laughs> the famous five got wasted. Famous five got Is that what we're calling this? The mm. famous five get wasted. But yeah, the fifth one was too drunk to attend. Mm. The fifth one was too hammered to actually attend. <laughs> Oh, well, I think that's the right approach anyway. It's, I have discovered a cousin of mine in Surrey has his own wine cellar. I am so impressed. I, I thought that sentence was just going to finish if I discovered a cousin of mine, full stop. <laughs> um, no, was this, was this, was this on Tinder or in real life? <laughs> oh, here's my cousin. There's another one. There's... Uh, no, 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 no. No, I mean, the real question is... When Whatever you okay. say, cellar, or you, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> wine cellar? No, it's a proper wine cellar with a wee spiral staircase down to temperature controlled. That's very impressive. That's got to be a tax write off. You know, keeps it buckfast, okay? <laughs> what is the recommended serving temperature for buckfast? <laughs> Minus 40. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Hello, Austin. How are you guys? All the better for seeing you. Oh, <laughs> oh you're so sweet. I'm lying out my ass in all fairness. Yeah, of course you, you are. Know. Of course you are. <laughs> uh, it, it's not a. It's not lying. It's just you know statistical verbiage. I had a. There was a entertaining discussion came up on one of the slacks today. And it was somebody talking about how statistics lie. And I'm going, mm, the numbers don't lie. The words around the numbers lie. Yeah, it's the, adult, it's the human interpretation lie. Well, my favorite one, and it's a phrase that I absolutely hate. It's vanishingly small. <laughs> I'm going, what does that What does that mean? Well, yeah, and I'm going. And the There's thing a joke was, there, and I'm not going for it. It's too early. <laughs> Well, no, the, the horrifying thing was that it was in reference to a value that was around about 7%. And I'm going, in what That's fucking not... world is va- is 7% vanishingly small? Um, how Especially much... considering it was death rates. How, how much of the heart needs to be remaining for it to function? <laughs> some, some small amount. Sorry, was that too early? I think it's also up there with trending towards significance, which means... Oh! oh. 
Oh, oh, it's that's just... trending <laughs> towards significance. That's yeah, any meeting. I mean, that out. Which means everything we're looking at here is complete and utter bullshit, but we have a vague hope that if we repeat the experiment enough times, we might find out that it's real. Yeah, and, I'm a, you know, and it's usually, oh, oh God forgive me, but it's usually written by a clinician. 100%. <laughs> every single fucking time. So Austin's in it then. <laughs> <laughs> so what what are we doing what is the plan here we Obviously haven't got any plan. idea whatsoever <laughs> we just thought we'd have a bit of crack and talk shine for half a couple of hours it already says recording oh yeah no, sorry that so that um this is gonna this section of the pod is gonna be really entertaining for anyone who actually joins us and is stupid enough to try and listen to this shit um it's just going out live no, God, no. No, no, no. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> Maybe at some point in the future. Maybe. Oh, she was worried then. She was really worried then. Oh, no. I mean, just before we jumped on, I, I frantically kind of went into the bedroom and just went, hold on a second. I just realized that I'm about to jump onto this call and I've got my white hat shirt on. I don't want to have anything to do <laughs> professionally cross purposes. I have a Slayer oh. shirt on. Is that okay? Uh, that that's certainly classier than mine. I got the open data camp from Belfast a couple of years ago, but yeah. Oh shit! I have one of those. I should put that on too. <laughs> oh no, no, sure, awesome. The answer is that we 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 dig into the podcast, and then we make the podcast big enough that somebody decides to make a design for the logos, and then we make T-shirts for it, and then we retire. Um, awesome. <laughs> that Jason sounds Bell. absolutely perfect. Jason Bell, sponsored by Bushmill. <laughs> I'm practicing. That's... What's, what's that line from Lost in Translation? Um, for good times, pick Bushmills times. <laughs> but, uh, just my finishing honey plan is just record us shooting the shit, and then at some point we should probably do introductions, and then basically pick a bit of B-roll to go at the beginning, Slap in some introductions and basically just go, and now we're going to talk shite, which is really not that difficult to uh, uh, get us to do. So, what I mean, we don't even, arguably, we don't need introductions. Sorry? What do you mean by B-roll? Could you clarify what you mean by B-roll? Oh, grown. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, co completely out of context, a random snippet at some point of the conversation okay. um, before Austin phases completely out of existence. As he oh, fiddles right. with the, the video channel. Did you go for the, what is it, the... Mm, I don't know how you're meant to pronounce that. I'm probably not going to use it because it's just fucking pointless and stupid, but fun. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's the not your eyesight, the one, thing, not... the one thing that is nice about it is it allows you to put up stuff on the screen like this, yeah. right? Uh, how do I point? I can't, it doesn't work. But uh, yeah, it seems like too much hassle and maybe I'll do that some other time if we ever decide that we're going to do this based on stuff. Austin, yeah. what do you think this is? News 24. But I've got a whiteboard for that. <laughs> oh, that works way better. Whiteboard's way better. What does it say? Does stop, trying stop trying to read this? this? Yeah, go for it. Right. Stop trying to read this and pay attention. <laughs> Actually, ironically enough, I put that up for the um, Beltec discussion. Oh, um, okay. Just to see. Yes. So uh, you can tell that I do loads and loads of really intense right whiteboard work. I, I, I remember that. It said Austin smells of cheese, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I don't think I'd actually smelled cheese and cheese in about four months. So, you know. No. What, what, is the, what is the controller keyboard you have in the background there? 
uh, but, uh, so this is this is we're never going to have a topic. So there's no such thing as off topic, I suppose. Um, let's see. So um, about February time, I decided right stuff it. I'll go. VR is finally at the point where it might actually be useful. Valve released Half Life Alex, and I just went fuck it. I'll buy an Index. Unfortunately, whenever I was buying them, just as we were going into lockdown, everything was totally out of stock. Fantastic. So, um, no stock updates or anything like that for about six months or something like that. Um, and it eventually arrive, arrived, it must just be a little bit over a month ago. Um, and then played away, you know, discovered that I'm absolutely terrible at Beat Saber and that my apartment's too small for um, Space Pirate Simulator. Um, yeah, I find that as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, I wasn't the one to discover this, but my partner discovered that my kitchen cabinets are in the wrong place. Um, so, and this was discovered by smashing into one of the said kitchen cabinets. Um, now, there was a certain amount of damage done to the finger, but I was more uh, immediately concerned about the damage done to the controller that could no longer, after having been in my possession for 48 hours, um, oh was now dead and we were buggering off for two weeks the following week um so i just went right but there's nothing that you can do in these situations um sponsored by valve but their customer support was absolutely <laughs> fantastic the, the the rma was action but because the rma rma has the typical thing of we'll send it out whenever we receive the one that you sent and i'm going yep sweet that's fine Unfortunately, we were disappearing off to France to visit my parents, and the thing arrived back in our apartment halfway through the holiday. And this was a fun one. It was, um, I can't remember which carrier it was, but it had this sort of signature certification, or we've left it with in a safe place. And the safe place was a text field that had a dot gamble at and then a compressed version of our next door neighbor's address. So I was going, right, is that somebody actually, because the only part of our neighbor's next door was called Rebecca. So I'm going, did this postie just go, I'm going to take a fucking gamble and just leave this thing sitting on the, on the <laughs> under the car and then see if it works? And I was just like, shit, thick um, fortunately enough, it did actually make it into the neighbours and we got back. And best of all, my, my partner is allowed back onto it um, and they, have, they haven't been barred from it. Uh, but the good news is we're moving to a bigger place. By the way, that's an amazing, that, that was an amazing story, but I actually meant the MIDI controller keyboard over your left shoulder. <laughs> I knew we was going there. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, I should have recognised that. No, that's another one, and actually, ironically enough, another contribution to the I'm moving is that that keyboard used to live just directly beside me, but it's just this, my, my hallowed little cupboard under the stairs is just too small for it to fit uh, comfortably without uh, derailing everything. And next week, we'll have more stories from Andrew Bolster's Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Bolster has a real job for the first time in a decade and a half. Congratulations! <laughs> Jesus, oh, the, telling people about that. <laughs> oh no, it's been the same job for the past six months or no, eight months. But see, this is the thing: I, I never do anything interesting at a roundabout or until you get past that six-month mark, because right. 
They've got that six months to, to it, it's up to them to discover that you're an idiot. And once, once you're past that six months, it's, it's not your problem anymore. Right, you pass probation, you mean? Exactly. The irony is that because I'm a manager in this, I had to work out, and I very quickly started bringing new people in. Um, I had to work out what the requirements for passing parole were so that I could apply them to my juniors. Uh, yeah, but this is the thing, and this this just shows how long I've spent time as like either an independent researcher or an IC or whatever. Is I had no visibility on any of this, and apparently it is just, you know, they haven't screwed up enough. They haven't screwed up enough to cause any real problems. There's no assessment or anything like that. You just go right. Did he fuck up yet? And you just go no. Okay, then he's passed probation. That's sweet. <laughs> That's generally how it works. Uh, yeah, but this is all a, a new, uh, or it has been a brave new world for me, where like, give me data, numbers, and even sort of dealing with individual people is fine. Dealing with like management, I have no idea how to do that. But, yeah. Were any of these affected by the... Oh, sorry. Who was talking there? Oh, no, no, I was just saying, I find it hard to imagine that Bolser struggles with dealing with management. That seems so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> he's making, he's, he is making up for being upset about being chair at Beltec. That's all this is now. It's just personal. Oh, they grew up so fast. <laughs> Here, were any of you affected by the GCSE A level predictions? Yes. Right. Kind of. You know what? Actually, that seems like a good point to stop the recording of us talking bullshit and actually start this officially to talk about that exact fucking disaster. Okay. I, I need to make some kind of like visual thing so that I can check myself whenever I'm editing this and go, oh, this is the bit where stuff happens. Yeah, we start at this point. This is the start point. The bolster, we're starting now. <laughs> Was there a different, no, I mean, was anyone directly, did anyone have kids that were affected by it? Yeah. Yeah? Um, have they gone into yes. the university they need? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, so, good. bless her, she got three A's. Oh, good honour. So she'd already been accepted in, and then they upgraded it when the U-turn happened. So she got two A stars and an A. Nice! Nice! Um, so nice. I'm driving on Sunday. Very nice. Oh. But I don't want That's that awesome. in, in the final bit. Okay. If you don't mind. Well, congratulations. So, what yeah, so she, she's off to study geography, but mainly on the human geography side, population statistics and social economic stuff. Um, in fact, I got a new laptop the other day. And I said, what do you want on it? And she just went, ah. Yes! Ooh! 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 Sure. Um, making Jupiter notebooks—that's fine. I don't care what kernel you use. You know what? You, you know what? During lockdown, I said, "What do you want to do?" And she went, "Can you order some order me some R books, please, Dad?" I went, "Yeah, sure." So straight to straight to O'Reilly. <laughs> oh, I like her already. What about you, Austin? Were you impacted? No, he's, so, no, he, he's too young no. to do GCSEs yet, is Austin? Yeah, I, I haven't been allowed to do my GCSEs yet. And so my, my son is just going into third year. So actually, right, okay. it hasn't been too bad for him. Although my daughter is now in P7. So having to deal with doing a transfer test, having missed six months of school. So oh, yeah, that's kind of a weird one. That's going to be a quick the, 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 the interesting... Sorry, John, go. 
Glenn, did any of you see the different versions of the algorithm that were in the papers? Because I know different people, The Guardian and The Independent, published different versions. Jane Tennyson did a very detailed overview of the algorithm and the weightings behind it. It was actually really interesting. Tennyson? Yeah. Right, okay. I, haven't got the link, I haven't got the link to hand because I'm unorganized. No, and it's because I, I just found out today, now this is about uh, a week old, that the Royal Statistical Society had tried to advise them. Yeah, um, they, they, they got slammed with an MDA and refused to sign it. <gasps> yeah. I think one of the things that's most... One of the biggest like backlashes of this, honestly, I think it was an article in The Guardian, basically, I think, I forget the title, something like, uh, why ditch the algorithm is the new protest. And I think this is probably one of the most consequential things for me that comes from all of this is this has highlighted that algorithms can be shit and it has highlighted the massive impact that it can actually have on people. Uh, and it clearly, I mean, I spoke to someone whose kid did not get accepted for the medicine degree they wanted to do uh, and had to appeal it and it's not been overturned and they got it but they've had to defer for a year and i think this is probably what we're going to see the biggest backlash from this that, is that's, the fact that's that heartbreaking is, it's awful i mean this is the thing to have gone through that emotional turmoil and then to get oh it's been resolved but you got to sit around on your ass for a year you know but that's oh. still quite anxiety inducing yeah, so my my mum is a, uh, she basically is, I can't even remember her specific job title, but basically she... Can you remember her name? Uh, mum, there we go. Mum, right, I got that. Just wanted to make Both sure you mom. knew that bit. Yeah, well, don't, don't start asking for maiden names because then I'm going no, 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 to think that there's some kind of, it's more scam than usual. But she's uh, basically looks after the sick form centre in, uh, uh, in a selective grammar school. Um, and the uh, so, and she has a very good relationship with the kids as they're coming in. They spend effectively two years with her, where she's looking after all of them from a sanity perspective. And they've been just in terms of the bouncing back and forth, the the not even the stress of the the results, whatever way the results go, it's the humming and hawing and the bouncing back and forth and the will they, won't they, and and oh, it's going to be based on this, it's going to be based on that. It, oh, what 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 do you mean cags? What the hell is a cag? But do you know did that mock exam that I did in November or December count? as a sufficiently valid mock exam and that kind of uh, just fog of chaos is probably my big takeaway as being if you ever if anyone ever does something like this again managing the fog is in almost more important than managing the algorithm itself i mean it would have been nice if all of the algorithm actually worked but even if they just kind of doubled down and said, right, okay, whatever comes out of the algorithm is the way it works. And here's the other steps that we're taking to compensate for this. Because, I mean, you know, grade inflation has been going on or people have been complaining about grade inflation since, you know, before it was relevant to me. And, and you know, it, the, the meaning of a grade is contextualized within each year. So there are other ways rather than sort of faffing around forward and backward and changing multiple grades that the whole situation could have been managed beyond just kill the algorithm or flip-flopping. Because again, to go back to it, I think the stress of the uh, variety of action is probably more dangerous than the stress that they ended up with. 
it's like it reminds me a bit of when you go for gene mutation testing, you know, for cancer risk, breast cancer, ovarian cancer risk. You have to have counseling. It's not just about whether you get your result to say, yeah, you know, you have a BRCA1 mutation or a BRCA2 mutation. It's how you deal with that. So mm. there comes knowledge and then there's the fallout. Mm. You know, so you're talking pastoral, pastoral yeah. support. You know? it, it, interestingly, um, the teen um, actually hung around school after she got results before everybody else because they asked her to, to open hers live on the radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so literally 30 seconds before they went on it, at like five past eight, there you go. Uh, that's what you got. Um, no one wanted big surprises, which is very wise. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, some of, our, some of our friends just got totally let down and, and they were academically bright and you know from what we'd heard during the course of the the two years of the as and the a levels that, that they do really well and then they're coming away going no no got this gutted right. you know and, and it, ch it changed everything overnight it was it was awful it's the only time i've actually listened to stephen nolan as well <gasps> ew that's punishment enough that was kind of accidental though i didn't do that on purpose i just had the radio on but then, um, that's for me that's the thing that's kind of interesting i mean have any of you actually i mean i, I haven't a chance to look into the details behind this and i said i'm not even just glancing here there's stuff in the bbc you know why did the a level algorithm say no like how have any of you looked into the details behind how this was done because again it's like the perfect example of essentially an unvalidated algorithm an untested algorithm literally screwing up people's lives they didn't like, even run it on previous cohorts data they, they didn't try and do like what would have happened if this had been run last year which they've got the data for it was fundamentally and um, i'm sure i'll be corrected on the bits that i'm wrong um the the bit of the al algorithm it's a process not a fucking algorithm um the bit that makes sense to me is the cags in a in a bad situation so uh the, the adjusted grades so part of the challenge that they were that you're always trying to sort out is if you just give a teacher uh, it's effectively stack ranking i mean it's the same thing that we have to deal with in other organizations but the general idea is that with stack ranking you want to see what the distribution is within a cohort uh, or what the order is within the cohort but then what you've got to do is try and sort of like um uh, shuffling cards like you know layer in all of these multiple stacks across different schools or across different cohorts or across different regions and sort of globally distributed stack rank um or nationally distributed stack rank and that bit all kind of worked from a technical perspective the bit that got things completely screwed up was these additional heuristics that were added in that uh, were effectively based on, if I remember correctly, correlations between um, educational attainment in the school's history and in the region's history, like down to the postcode's history. And that's where things just went crazy because, and I think whenever you look at the distribution of how many um, grades were leveled up and how many grades were dropped, there was something that went horribly, horribly wrong in that adjustment phase. Because even if you're doing this in a relatively sensible way, you expect there to be a nice, normal 
deviance curve, right? You'd expect that, but it's not. It's lopsided of the fucking the negative. I don't know how they manage that side of things, but it basically looks like they've made some vast generalizations in major population centers, and that because they fucked up at the regional adjustment level, in a little bit towards the negative. Um, it just pulled down the greatest amount of the population. It probably they probably tested this on case studies internally. They probably went and cherry picked about a, a dozen schools or something like that with their own version of a, a sampling rate. But they didn't look at what happens whenever you scale that sample of different contexts, different scenarios. So you have your uh, rural agricultural schools, you have your rural private schools, rural uh, public schools, you have your city, blah, 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 blah. And those weren't scaled for population, so they didn't see these high order effects that just drag everybody's grades down. I've just sent you all the link to, to the Tennyson blog. So it gives you steps one to nine. I mean, they talk about it, I take your point, Andrew, in terms of it being an algorithm, because they haven't really, can you call it an algorithm? Because it seems to be, you know, almost like pseudocode mm. um, that's just been written. So there isn't, they have already selected the variables that they think influence. There's no taking into account for, you know, um, either, like say teacher, you know, any adjustment, like for teachers moving across schools, students moving from fifth year to sixth year you know all, they themselves have decided what variables are important and bonded in here and there's no um and well i haven't seen the off um the off qual report but i would be wanting to look at kind of a well the equivalent of AUCs and you know how well like if you only trained at 2007 to 2008 how good were the results in predicting 2009? Mm. So the interesting part, from my point of view, is where I live. So the teen did two of her A-levels in one school, her actual school, and then did the other A-level in another school. So is the final grade just on the school that she was in? Mm. Or was it split by um subject to the two the two schools so um i think you would have been doubly split because they also did adjustments based within the subject so you would have been split on mm -hmm. school and subject so basically I mean, in a private school an independent school where you had less than 15 kids doing a subject or per class you went with teachers predictions hmm. so this favorite I mean, private schools I think fundamentally the issue with this is, you know, if we look at, so all the stuff that's come out recently, particularly from Information Commissioner's Office, right? Uh, if we look at the guidelines for use of AI in the public sector, you look at what the ICO put out around this, and the whole thing about, you know, transparency, explainability, you know, all that kind of, I'm not going to say crap stuff, right? I'm actually fully supportive of all that kind of thing. But what, what pisses me off about all of this is, Ofqual have run through this process and it is an algorithm in the old school sense of it is a series of steps of things that they do. It's in no way, obviously it's in no way machine learning. It couldn't even be remotely called AI, even if you were drunk, which none of us are quite yet. But fundamentally, get in there, get in there. The night is young. Get, get, work, work harder, work harder. But you I know, am. fundamentally, it's, it's a simple, ridiculously easy stepwise old school algorithm 
which has honestly negative apart from the negative impact that it's had on the people that went through this it's kind of had a negative impact on the public perception of algorithmic anything for probably years to come here in the uk absolutely now there's two wonderful things that happened obviously first of all boris's mutant algorithm claim <laughs> um and then uh, which is now bled into the social conscience because on radio this morning this morning, this afternoon sorry I was listening to a program on Radio 4 and the guy was complaining that something had happened to his finances because of a rogue algorithm. Ooh. So rogue algorithms are everywhere now. The Terminator for Revenge of the Insurance Adjuster. Well, interestingly, insurance is quite an interesting one because the, the systems behind that tend to be so old and have tons of data backing up what they're actually saying. They're reliable. Um, and and the and the same goes for banking as well, and 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 credit credit scoring. It's rich data because it's so old and there's so much of it. Um, yeah, whereas something like this is just kind of all new. But once we start, once the media start hanging on to these mutant algorithm things, then you know. Well, I mean, it's funny because I, I'm obviously it's going to be no surprise to anybody that I'm. Big, right, why the fuck wasn't this already open data, arguably? I mean, Ofqual, uh, Turnaround have their aggregated, aggregated reports, but if hypothetically you had some kind of like Kaggle data set, I mean, this could have been a fucking competition. This mm -hmm. could, have, never mind your procurement cycle, if you turned around and basically said, here's the past 10 years of mock grades, grade predictions, because they have to put them in, or no, it's optional for teachers to put in predicted grades for UCAS applications, I think. There's something like that, I can't remember. And end yeah, result. going in the application. Yeah, and, and end result. I mean, this could have been facilitated by UCAS beyond off-qual. And you wouldn't necessarily, it, GCSE would obviously be a little bit more difficult to manage, but you know, if you were able to demonstrate that your algorithm worked at the A-level level, A-level level squared, um, then, it would be, it, you would have a certain amount of confidence to be able to apply it down to the GCSE level. And you would also have in public the verification and validation that you're not doing something insane. Um, but we just have a black box of, um, yeah, computer says yes, computer says no. Um, so. How would you have done it? I mean, just based on just what we know about the availability potentially of data. I mean, starting from 2017, remember that assessment was changed. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, you were kind of going from predicted, you know, coursework into uh, um, exam-based, like the good old A-levels. But I mean, how would you guys have approached it? As well, I, take that one first. I, 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 th I think it becomes tacit domain knowledge. I think it's down to the teachers. Right. I, I'm with Jason. I would have left at the CAGs and just said, look, take the stack rank. And uh, to be honest, of all years to just take a step back and go fucking trust the teachers um, yep. and just go, yep. what, what's the stack rank within a cohort? What was the, even if you want to go vaguely shitty, what was the top and bottom grades last year, say, uh, with some distribution variability and then just project that across? Peter Weir had the opportunity to do that. He had the opportunity to backpedal incredibly quickly, seeing what had happened in Scotland, and he didn't. So you guys wouldn't even bother playing with the data just to see what would happen? 
No, I would no. love to play with the data. I would love to play with the data, but that's we're, from... We're, we're talking about a one in 100 years event. So, no, I, I think this is extreme, you know, under extreme circumstances where this doesn't happen all the time. Um, no, I would... Knowing what I know and what I've been through, and it's nothing compared to what my daughter's been through. Um, you know, but I was sort of checking the news every day about what the yeah. heck was going on. Um, we didn't know if mock grades were going to be included because that would have actually wobbled things because she was away. So it's like the mock grades, you know, well, what happens there? You know, it was all of that kind of thing. And then the mock grades were only going to be used on appeal. Okay, so... And we know that she'd been consistent throughout the two years. She she buries her head in books. That's what she does. Yeah. She did amazingly well. And she was consistently top one, you know, top three the entire two years. So, you know, fair play to her. She put the work in, you know. So to, to be told at that point, knowing every teacher was going, she's going to sail it, you know. But I, I think for this one, I mean, realistically, as you said, that we this wasn't basically cross-validated on previous year's data, right? This should have been comprehensively assessed on a year-by-year -year basis to assess the overall validity of what they had done every year for the last 20 years of results. You know, something that has that level of impact. It's like a diagnostic test, you know what I mean? You wouldn't put a diagnostic test to tell somebody they have cancer out into the world without doing proper comprehensive validation. And it seems that they have done this without proper comprehensive validation in any way whatsoever. So I totally agree. I would have default to let's trust the humans on this and let's not bother with looking at the data. Because, you know, they're kids, right? You know, they don't necessarily yeah. behave the way you'd expect them to. I don't know even whether you can do it on a full UK. Well, I mean, I know it was England, Wales and Scotland, they did their own thing, but whether you can even drill it down to a countrywide level, you know, is there not a regional level that one model may fit, you know, like in Surrey, but another model may fit if you go closer to the border? You know? I, w I would be very surprised if this was more convoluted than effectively having a... Uh, postcode subject maybe down to a school um, uh, multiplier vector and it basically just went aggregate score multiplied by bomb 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 I mean there's two things about the whole thing that well three we'll probably leave the third one for a bit but my research background is in sort of trying to assess fuzziness and trying yeah. to communicate and construct fuzziness and be able to use fuzziness in a constructive way. Um, and the whole idea of bucketizing students, I've always hated, always hated the idea of going A, B, C, D, E. I'm just going, right, I know, right, from spending time as an educator, by time in uni, by time as a student, blah, 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 the, the difference between an A and a B is one mark. That's it. But Whenever you go to talking to people about CVs and resumes and things like that, you know, an A and a B is a big difference. You know, the distance between a first and a second degree is a mark. It's a mark and maybe a friendly, like, supervisor that sees that you're on the fucking edge and just goes, boop. Um, and it always seemed like an utter, utter waste of human imagination to me. I always thought of the, a better way of doing it would be not necessarily setting a range but basically saying, 
here's the the distribution of where we think your student your student could have ended up, and here's where the final mark was. So to take Austin's point, this shouldn't have been something that was generated because we're going through a global pandemic. It should have been something that was part of the internal monitoring of going, right, it's coming up to exam season. Let's see how the education system's doing. Here's the predictions based on history. Boom! Are we above or below our predictions based on history? If we're below, something is going wrong with educational policy. If we're above, congratulate and tell the telegraph and write, okay, maybe it's time to call another election because they might like us this time. And you know, <laughs> that 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 would have made sense. And then if you were able to communicate and you still keep the original exam results or so that universities, etc., can have sensible boundaries. But the way that you communicate that is here's your distribution curve right and here's the red line of where you actually ended up so that can contextualize it you have someone who is a constantly like top excelling and basically their range is you're a star and if you like literally shit the bed in the exam you'll maybe get an a that's fine they walk out with the a star group but if you have someone that sort of has that range and then because they properly shit the bed they get a c on the day that still communicates something that's useful the thing is, if you look as well, so you mentioned that university setting, right? So when it comes to um, end of the degree process, right? I, don't know, I, I assume this is still done, but it was done when I was doing my degree, right? A bunch of people are selected for essentially a viva, right? A sort of oral test. And it's basically the way, the reason that it's done is to establish where is the cutoff, right? So we established a human assessed cutoff point. We have a human in the loop, right? But this is even just a simple exam result. So if we know that we're going to set a level somewhere and anyone above that's a first, anyone below that's a two, one, and then we have And those are done by the process of interview. And I know this personal experience, I had to go through that. And when I did it, it was a piece of piss because it turns out they'd already set the threshold and it was set by one of the previous people they've set earlier that day. And that kind of makes sense in the sense that even when we have exam results and we have something that everyone's fairly confident and can stand over, we still had that so you're sort of a human in the loop concept to assess where do we set that threshold. And when we look at any kind of machine learning and an AI process, that concept of human in the loop and threshold setting is all the more sensible. But the most absurd thing about this softball thing is that they don't even seem to have done proper validation, never mind secondary human level assessment of that, which again, for me, it goes against everything that ICOs put out around this kind of thing. That's why it's so bizarre to see something pushed by the government that has basically contravened many of what their own guidelines are stating. What would you do, Jane? I would have, I, I suppose this is why I did have the data. I would have, I'd be kind of going towards Andrew's thing, you should be doing this anyway. Um, regardless of pandemic, but I would be kind of going for a regression-based strategy, bunging everything in that I knew about the schools and the kids and seeing what came up. Um, just, I would want to play with the data. Um, I mean, I'd say, yes, in comparison to a, sh a shit working algorithm, possibly with shit data going in, um, you have to rely on humans, but I'm also thinking about the younger teachers you know, if you have a teacher who's been there for 20 years, they maybe have a better understanding of how to predict grades. Somebody who's just in the door is going, eh, I don't know. You know, sometimes when you have a new examiner, they come in and kind of say, oh, I have to be quite harsh. 
So that still impacts on kids as well. You know, where somebody who's a bit longer in the tooth and has been doing it for a while goes, yeah, they're A's. Yeah, maybe say A, B. You know, so yes, you do have that, you know, you rely on the, the humans. In this case, we have to rely on the humans. But at the same time, the humans are still flawed, you know. Um, and also, you've also got, you know, one, you know, God forbid that you have a teacher with an axe to grind as well. So with the A-levels, um, the, the, the students are doing tracker tests over the, the entire period of the two years. Mm. Um, and they're doing them fairly regularly. Yeah. So they, they know if there's a peak or a dip or if there's something they need to gen up on or and that kind of thing. So, so every, uh, sorry? They can back up their predictions. So somebody's yeah. getting 50 all the way along, you can't predict them an A. Somebody, yeah. but is, does somebody call them out on that? Yeah, see, that's what you need, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I, I know. And Answers in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say oh, is, I'm oh, he's on form, isn't he? I am looking forward to the new edition of Hello World with the new chapter that will cover this entire thing. I love Hannah Friedabitz, she's fantastic. Me too. We all do, Hannah. You're great. We will tag you when we post this. And this is a plug. Anyone watching who has not read this book should 100% read this book. Other books are available. Ah, they're not worth reading, though. Well, I'm actually just, well, hang on a minute. I'm actually just thinking in terms of um, one of you guys have put up about the Apple card, about the in increased limits if um, you didn't have ovaries. Um, I'm just thinking about invisible data from Caroline Criado, Criado Perez. I think that's really good. It's not written so much from a techie point of view, but it's how data and algorithms can really mess up you know, mess up, um, be slanted towards a particular section of the community. I, oh, what was that wrong? That, no, no. that, that was indigestion. That wasn't anything else. That was, uh, no, I, the, the reason I kind of threw this one, I think this was a really interesting one, because again, when we talk about this whole concept of black box algorithms, this for me was the biggest backlash I've ever seen against a black box algorithm. They're absolutely screwed up all over. I mean, well, this the, the biggest crazy. public backlash on Twitter that's populated by the uh, upper yeah. middle class white men. But, yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, but also, yeah, I, I just I think it was fascinating to see the fact that this ultimately did highlight that. Who was, uh, I, I'm not even going to say the financial organization that was behind it was it Goldman Sachs. I don't want to be accused of accusing the wrong people, but it was basically a bank that backed this credit card. And Apple had basically done this whole marketing campaign around this, around how this is different and it's different from normal credit cards. It turns out it's not. It's just a Goldman Sachs credit card. Uh, and the backlash on this was good in that sense that it highlighted Apple's marketing bullshit. And don't get me wrong, I'm an Apple fan. I have all of their products and I'm using several of them right now. But I just thought that the backlash on this one was really interesting. But as you say, then the Invisible Women, uh, you know, that book deals with so many issues like this of inherent sexism that we've seen um, in, in multiple cases. The, the thing about the crash test on these was the, yeah. the most amazing thing, all of it, you know? It's quite scary, actually, just how much, um, you know, or even, I mean, when, once you start getting into drugs, the fact that in testing you're dealing with, um, you know, um, if it's gone through to the preclinical stage, you know, testing on mice and rats, it's been tested on male mice and rats because the hormonal system of the females is a bit too complicated. So that's why blood pressure, certain blood pressure meds didn't work when they were 
apply to women. You know, it's like, oh, duh. <clears throat> and actually, again, you'll be aware probably even more fundamentally than this. I think about 20 years ago, I remember being involved in some conversations around this where it turned out that no one had ever given any consideration to what sex cell lines were. Right, so in cancer research, the Hela cell line from Henrietta Lacks originally yeah. derived. Obviously, we know that's come from a woman, but it obviously. But to be honest, I believe the majority of cell lines used in clinical research are actually of male origin. So most preclinical research that's been done in cell lines has an inherent gender bias, and no one ever recorded the gender or sex of the cell lines that they were using, and therefore it never gave any insight as to whether it would work for both sexes or genders. Wow. Well, I think even when you think you're dealing with ovarian or breast, you know, well, mainly, you know, mainly women are affected by breast cancer, um, you still don't know. I mean, a lot of these labs have been, a lot of these cell lines have been mislabeled or contaminated a, something else. I'm pretty sure there was a fairly, no, I think there was a fairly notable example, actually, where a commonly used, well, there's a commonly used breast cell that I think may have been derived from male breast cancer, which is obviously slightly different genetically anyway, but Again, I think there's been examples where a commonly used breast cancer cell line turned out to not actually be a breast cancer cell line at all. And basically all the research that's been done, that's based on complete spurious bullshit. I think it was melanoma it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, sorry, you're right, it was. But it turned out to be completely not at all. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I mean, I think with cell lines, you know, it's difficult because, you know, it, they're difficult to create, they're difficult to maintain. Um... But yeah, I suppose the kind of the one kind of revenge is the fact that the Henrietta Lacks cell line just seems to infect everything. Because we're plugging books, we might as well pull oh, this up. Isaac, but... we're, we are sponsored by Penguin this evening. Oh, they've changed the cover. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the cover we've got. Uh, the, the teen loves this book. I bought it for her. It's great. She's an amazing uh, woman. She's on Twitter and she gets some stick. There's a brilliant quote at the start about being a difficult woman. Just keep on being a difficult woman. So I think I'm going to have that framed. <laughs> no, it was bugging me because if because I know, Jace, you got that book relatively early whenever it was published. So if it's the different cover, I'm thinking about the wrong thing. And I was. And I'm going to one-up your screen sharing of a book and just basically go. Uh, yeah, got that one too. Yeah, technically wrong. It was the it was the blue, uh, the turquoise that I was trying to get, and I'm going to try and do it over the body. So that's uh, Sarawak the Budica, Budicher. But yeah, um, I haven't read that one. I haven't read that. Really good. Uh, Emerging a wee bit. I couldn't see it properly. Could you show? Keep the book still and show it again. I need to try and do it wrong. Technically wrong. I need to try and do it so that it doesn't think that it's part of my background. And and I, I and I'm way I'm way ahead of the curve of weapons of math destruction. I read it years ago when it first came out by Cathy Neal. It's very nice. We've had three women authors here. And obviously, other machine learning books are well, available. <laughs> I don't think any of them count as machine learning books yet. But yeah. oh, the algorithms, the, the algorithms of oppression. That's one I wanted to get. Mm. No, I don't know. I don't know because then I'll find out how many stars it is, and I don't actually look. Okay. <laughs> oh, that what, that wasn't me on the top. That's Justin Bell. I don't know. Oh, geez, you're looking good though. Well, I am <laughs> looking fabulous. Wow, I look fucking brilliant there. 
that's it. Maybe we need to do like a, a photograph of our bookshelves as, uh, rather than profile photos. Um, I might just sanitize mine a bit. I've actually got an entire O'Reilly shelf. It's quite scary. Ooh. Um, oh, is this the new version? Oh, of course, yes, because it was April. Or, sorry, I, I meant to. Yeah, okay, hold on. I've got something to do. Give me so, yeah, while we're plugging books, in addition to the other great books that we've highlighted, <laughs> we, anyone who's watching should buy Jason's book. Well, I actually need to buy this version I, I because. Need, I, need, I, I need the royalties I've got university <laughs> to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> I need to buy this as well, actually, so I should probably do that. No, because uh, I was waiting on the new version coming out because, you know, I, I just assumed that he'd fucked up the first one. Um, <laughs> that seems like a fair assumption. I assumed that as well. I didn't buy the first one either. I assumed he'd get it right this time. Or at least I, I'll, I'll be honest with no, you. No, the, the actual truth is that I've, I've been quietly hoping that he'd get me to proofread the first one and then I'd get a free copy. But I guess I'm just going to have to be a fucking pleb and buy it myself. Um, well, what I can't really tell you is there's a box of 20 at my feet. <laughs> well, too late. I've just ordered a place. Yeah. Um, oh, I, oh, oh. The, the, the idea was I was going to conferences this year. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> so, no, we, we'll, we'll, send you, we'll send you author copies through. Okay. And they've been used as a footstool ever since. <laughs> what do you class as machine learning in it? Can you not show us that on screen? Pick up the box and show it. Yeah. I can't. There's a load of shit on top of it. <laughs> Jason, what do you class as machine learning in the book? Oh, hold on. I wrote it ages ago. I can't remember. Yeah, but do you include regression is what I'm getting at? Yes, I do. Jason, you've written the book twice. You should remember it at this oh, point. Oh, Jane, Jane, there's a talk I did where I, I upset every suit in the room. Uh-huh. And, well, look, uh, I think I was wearing a suit that year, so you didn't upset me. Did I not? No, no. Must, not on, must try not on harder. No. And what, what I did is I got the audience, and Austin was chairing this one as well, I, I got the audience to um, bet on three uh, machine learning algorithms. The neuroaggression oh, decision course. trees yes, and neural networks. And the idea was to replace, sorry, Darcy Bustle on Strictly Come Dancing with a black box version of Darcy based on the other three judges' scores. So I took votes around the room. Everyone thought the neural network was going to win. It was the worst. You know, because neural networks tend to be fairly shite at most things. Um, sorry, Invest Northern Ireland. I do apologise. It's, it's probably screwed up your media pack a little bit. Just, they've stopped, they haven't listened to your apologies in about six years at this point. Well, they haven't. I mean, I mean, they invented Hadoop, didn't they? Sorry. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I did this talk and people got a little bit upset with me because it's like, don't, don't, don't mess my funding up. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to bring this down to like something that's close to an actual topic, but that's Careful. one of the things that's massively infuriating is that, you know, we're, for want of a better phrase, practitioners of data fiddling. And oh, I definitely am because I haven't got a degree, and my level of imposter syndrome right now is through the fucking roof. Here, you're the one who's got a book on the subject, so <laughs> yeah, I know you can shush. Anyway, no, sorry, a second edition, a second edition of the book on the subject. A second edition of the book, yes, yes, to fix all the spelling the mistakes of because there were mistakes in the first one. Actually, no, I, I kind of chopped and changed things around a bit because. Um, 
there, was, there wasn't really much of a stats 101 in there. There wasn't anything about linear regression in the first book. It was straight into decision trees, support vector machines, neural nets, um, uh, association learning, those kinds of things. Um, so, Jane, what you probably don't know is I spent my time in Northern Ireland, I spent a lot of time talking about the Tesco club card. That's kind of my specialised subject. Um, just purely because I was interested in it. So right. stuff like that, I get really interested in. Um, so they were all kind of traditional machine learning algorithms. Um, nothing, the chapter on neural nets was was fairly late on in the book, more theoretical and, you know, this is how it works. Boom, there you go. Um, whereas this time we had, um, when I, I, the, the technical editor is a friend of mine, I've known him for 20 odd years. Um, and we were talking about, um, God, is that still there? That blog. Anyway, um, so we started looking at the more deep learning stuff when it came to um, auto encoders and those kinds of things. So image recognition, um, YOLO and stuff like that, transfer learning and regret. Yeah. Anyway, all of that. So yes, there's quite a lot of stuff in there. There's also, because um, it's more practical than it is theoretical. It's for developers. It's not for maths nerds. Sorry. And it's also by choosing the right algorithm, I think, which is what yeah. I was trying to get at. And, and this was something I'm, I made a huge thing about at Belltech a few years ago, was this, this thing with choosing three algorithms and, and betting on it. It's like... Neural nets traditionally were the algorithm you used when no other traditional algorithm fit. Mm. It was your last resort. And now everyone just launches on straight into a neural network. And what, what, what's really interesting is talking to um, the, the kind of new breed, the new crop of folk that are doing this stuff now is, oh yeah, we just, we, we just put it on here or we just create a neural network, or we just do this. And it's like, well, have you tried linear regression? No. Yeah. I, I've have you tried, have you tried a decision tree? No. I find I this worrying because I'm getting this from paper journals, paper reviewers, um, funders. You okay. know, why, why aren't you using machine learning? Because it's shit. Hang on a second. I want to counter that right. No, you you you've munged two classes of things together there, right? Don't don't. Neural networks is sales, not James. machine learning. Neural networks is not machine learning. Neu right, if if we want a definition, machine learning is whenever a thing that makes a decision or a recommendation learns from the responses to its decisions or recommendations. Anything that doesn't have that feedback loop is a stati statistical masturbation, right? Oh, no, it's not even statistical. I wouldn't. A statistical modeling would be regression. When you get into things like classification, like SBMs and neural net, they are not statistical. Oh no, but I'm, I'm trying to take the highest level abstraction as possible. So modeling is whenever you're trying to work out what the what you think the system is doing. Then whenever you have some kind of, I don't want to say predictive, but decision support or recommendation thing that says, well, given these inputs, I think the thing is this output. Um, and then it's only, in my opinion, it's only machine learning if that loop is closed and that the system understands the concept of its own votes 
yeah. and the responses to its own votes. If it doesn't have that, it's statistical masturbation. And modeling. Please don't even call it stats. I, I'm talking about machine learning from the great, you know, the non technical public. You know, oh, the, the throw it at the machine and see if it comes up. You know, I mean, it, it's like to them, machine learning is anything where you hit a button and you get a prediction, you know, and for them, it's things that are black box is sexy because you don't understand how it works. And it's like the emperor's new bloody clothes, you know, where the idea is, oh, right. Okay. Neural nets, you know, it's like they've all just discovered SVM neural nets and deep learning and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and I don't understand it. There's a nerd that understands it. Therefore, it must be good. So I understand what you mean in terms of machine learning about in terms of, I mean, people lump in AI with, you know, they use the term AI incorrectly as well. But if you look at the general kind of context of what I suppose I'm talking about, I would make a real distinction between what is statistical modeling, you know, regression-based approaches, which will give you a probability of what the hell's happening, on to, you know, the more assuming everything's binary or fits mm. into categories. You know, so with classification and it goes back to your a-level stuff you know oh we only have a b c's d's you know um as opposed to being a continuous well, it's continuous and with confidence. So this is one of the things where I've got no problem with classification systems as long as they tell me how confident they think they are in that assessment. Then exactly. I've got no problem. Um, Austin's going to sidetrack us in a second because he made the mistake of sharing his screen too early. Um, okay. So I'm going to he throw it completely, and I'm ready for it. it yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to sneak in one thing because we've had the discussion about sort of AI ML. One of the first things, no, actually, before I technically joined my current employer, um, I was hired to be the machine learning team lead. Um, and the first thing that I did was start getting the gears in motion to have the team renamed to data science because uh, machine learning is frankly five years away from being an engineering task rather than a research task. Um, yep. And but fundamentally, what I find interesting about our field isn't necessarily the tools and the toys. The tools and the toys are great for deriving a better understanding of the world and deriving better decisions about how to deal with that world. But fundamentally, it's about how do you take toy box and throw it at real world? And that mapping is where I see the actual sort of data science field living. Then, you know, towards the toy end, you're looking at the machine learning and the AI side of things. And then towards the human end, you're talking about, you're drifting towards like analyst and almost product management side of things where it's, what's the interface with the real? Um, and yeah, so just a small, well, I, I hate machine learning as a term, but yeah. I do have I, an issue with the binning. I do have an issue with categorization because those categorizations will always have come from the human. And if you think about, yes. you know, whether it's pass or fail, whether it's an A or a B, whether it's you have cancer, you don't have cancer, they always come or you're going to have good prognosis, you're definitely going to respond to this treatment, you're going to be a non-responder. I think those, for me, it's we are missing the spectrum. And I think we apply the categorization way, way, way too early. So that's, yeah. and that's why I love statistical modeling. So I totally agree. Right, GPT-3, that's a bucket of shit. 
Oh, God. <laughs> it's oh, a very big now. bucket. It's a very big bucket. I, I just pulled this one up because, you know what, I just thought, you know, of all the stuff we're going to talk about, whether we criticize machine learning, all this kind of stuff, for me, this was the best shit hype headline that I've seen in the last 25,000 years. <laughs> it's the fact that, like, OpenAI GPT-3 is the biggest thing since Bitcoin. Oh, do you mean it's overhyped and stupid? Yeah, awesome. has, has anyone seen the harp? Or I don't understand why the Gartner hype curve isn't shoved down every BuzzFeed programmer slash journalist's um, throat as they start off. Because, as you say, funny this, shape. Nah, nah. <laughs> like watch them click on the bead. You know, my heart sinks every time I just see the app or click on the bead. You know, how AI has been used in this hospital, and it's like. Yeah. yeah, okay, you know, so it's, it's, it is that hype thing, you know, we had like 10 years ago, we had big data, now we've got AI, and well, I'm thinking particularly of medicine, and, it, and any other area in which it can create havoc, and it's like, what's next? And who, oh, no. was, who was it who started this? Oh, what, what, big data in Northern Ireland? Ah, it's probably me, in all fairness. You know, I was the, I was the only one using Hadoop in 2010. But why, you know? But it, it's like, where has that wave started? It, you know, it, to me, it's like you know the wave of Christmas toys. There's, there's usually the, no. What I see happening is there tends to be a catalyst um, article. So mm -hmm. for me, with the Hadoop stuff, it was really interesting. The new, it, it, it wasn't a prediction thing. Um, it was a parallel computing thing so the new york times wanted to digitize and make a pdf of all its copies from the first edition up to the present day and um what they did was break out all the copy into a template but they did it through hadoop so they could do it in parallel as jobs and they saved themselves millions that's what interested me about hadoop back in 2010 I started talking about it just around about that time, and no one in Northern Ireland had a freaking clue about what I was talking about. And actually, it's probably about this time is when I met Andrew. Um, it all went downhill yeah. from there. And it all went down a hill from there, and, and, and my hair went really grey, and my voice is gone, and I haven't got any friends left. You it's like people take it and run with it, even though they're not too sure what it means. Oh, absolutely, but you get because you've, you've got to get to page two of the tutorial. That's it. That's the, the vast, I'm going to be a bit of a, well, no one's going to be surprised if I say I'm going to be a cynic. Um, I spent about half an hour today reviewing um, uh, conference proposals for NIDC. Um, and I can't name names, thank fuck. Um, but there were a couple where I was just looking at them going, you're going to repeat page one and page two of the tutorial on the manufacturer's um, web page of technology X. And I've been running meetups and communities and blah, 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 blah for years in the tech scene. And the amount of times that I see well-meaning, well-meaning young energetic people, you know, that haven't quite been cursed by cynicism and alcoholism, you know, quite so much, you know. What just, do you mean? 
and, and <laughs> just I think going... you're saying that we're all cynical alcoholics, which he's correct about. You know. yeah. I thought you were um... just talking to me directly, to be fair. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 think, I think it's all of us. It's okay. All oh, right. Okay. I don't feel so bad then. That's all right. Um, and all of these people that want to try and not necessarily make a name for themselves, but be present, be, be aware and be seen to be aware. And what generally happens is they play through page one and page two to the tutorial. The problem is that whenever they actually get into these jobs where there are actual business operations and things that are dependent on you knowing not necessarily what's on page three, but why the decisions were made to make the tutorials page one and two, suddenly they're utterly, utterly useless. And there is a subset of people in our field that you see jumping from job to job to job to job. And I just wonder, have they ever got past the page two? Or have they ever got past the, oh, yes, I oversaw the implementation of an architectural design for an online machine learning network that was engaging with blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, it is tough because, especially for local conferences, uh, you're stuck between two, the devil and the deep blue sea, where you want to encourage people to talk and you want to encourage people to present and build up their confidence, build up their experience, but you want it to be something that's not just something that you can sit and watch on YouTube and have 15,000 other people have done exactly the same fucking thing. So I've, ne I've now, yeah, I mean, I've now reviewed so... proposals for, th for three oh, conferences. Oh, that was a nice grenade. No, I'm happy with that one. Yeah. Oh, so well, I, I I think it's a really it's an interesting point, right? Because like I spent my entire career going to and presenting at conferences, right? And you know, the, I, just random anecdote: the worst experience I ever had um, presenting at a conference was <clears throat> I got up at a Bio IT World Conference a bunch of years ago and presented on how the idea of how we could use adaptive clinical trial design to improve the way clinical trials were run. And it was a completely novel concept that apparently nobody was doing. And I had worked with some team, some of the team I was working with, and we came up with this idea and I got up and gave this presentation. And this person came up to me afterwards and went, that was a fantastic presentation. It was clearly very, very well rehearsed. And honestly, it was the worst I ever had because it was not even remotely rehearsed. It was completely new. I'd never presented it before. And I, I had, this is at a point at which I was presenting at conferences 10 times a year and sometimes presenting the same thing six out of those 10 times. And it was boring as shit. And that's why I no longer do what I was doing back then. But that was the one time that I got up and gave that presentation about something totally new. But I was so used to giving those presentations that it, apparently it seemed trite and rehearsed, even though it was completely new. And so on the flip side, sort of almost as a devil's advocate to what you're saying, Ulster, it's like, I think it's really important that we give people the opportunity who haven't presented much to present something that isn't honestly that deep or insightful. You know, it may not be that that person has done something groundbreaking or different, but it's given them the opportunity to get up and actually give a presentation at the conference so that they're not an old cynical bastard like us who've done it so many times that when you do it and it's novel and interesting, you sound like you've rehearsed it, you know. I never rehearse anything. An educational side as well, you know, because by accepting somebody at a conference, you're validating them in a sense, as yeah. in this worth hearing, as opposed to 
um, actually, you know what, it's exactly the same. You've used the wrong method, you've used it incorrectly, and blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> for me, there also needs to be some sort of educational component, because by putting that person up there, you're putting them up as a role model. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the, the two words I always use, because someone asked me a while ago, why do you do talks? And I just said to entertain and educate. That's it. You see, I, I cheat on that question because I go um, teaching is learning twice. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, which is very true. Oh, so yeah. I, I did. And, and every talk I do now, I make sure it's a disaster story. This is how I. This is how I bled over absolutely everything, and this is how I fixed it. See, I, I do a funny one, though, because I'm not... Uh, yeah, you do live code demos that go wrong on purpose. Well, uh, in fairness, in fairness, right. I was originally spec I was originally spec to be, like, first on the docket with an absolutely bullshit talk anyway. Originally spec to be first on the docket in the black box. It was one of the... Was that the... It was so funny, though. It was, was great. Was there bash? But the thing was, it was yeah. intentionally designed to be as clickbaity as possible. It was uh, live coding, machine learning driven Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin arbitrage in real time. Um, so this was always going to be a disaster. But what made it more of a disaster was I was supposed to be on first. I got a little edge into the ear uh, about five minutes before we were supposed to open up. I go, do you mind, do you mind going after the break? And I'm going... Yeah, 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 that's fine. And a break happens. After the break happens, someone comes around to my ear and goes, um, such and such just wants to get away. They've got the kids at home. Do you mind going a bit later? I'm going, yeah, 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 no problem. Hang on a second. So you were already yes. hammered by the time I bought you a double vodka and coke? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I remember that. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I do remember trying to work out. I, I, I got the laptop up to the podium, and it was a very small podium. And it wasn't, it, it was a fairly chunky laptop at the time. And I, I, I stood there with the pint in the other hand, going, Where, where do I put this? And ended up setting it down on the stage at my feet. And I, it was just, it was a rolling clusterfuck, but it was one of the most fun presentations that I've ever done. I, because... I remember heckling at you. It was great fun. <laughs> but I, it was literally, I... nothing worked. Do you mean fun for you or fun for the audience? I hope both. Oh, it, was, it was actually really good. Uh, it was a good talk. But I do, I do remember heckling halfway through and I said, Andrew, what do you re need right now? And he said a stiff drink. So I actually <laughs> bought him a double vodka and coke ready for when he came off. No, I mean, to get back to what Andrew was saying, I mean, it would be the right standards and presentations and accepting, I mean, it's the feedback you give people, you know, about, you know, if they've submitted something and you want to give them a chance, but it's like, okay, maybe not presenting this subject, but have you got something else? I mean, so I'm a big believer in reaching out what, what um, Austin was saying about giving people the chance, especially younger women, you know, mm. have a, see what it's like. Um, but I, I don't like it when you've got non-experts assessing what they think is good because at the moment, going back to papers and going back to funding agencies, I mean, I was sitting reviewing a paper online with a group of people and I got, I heard the awful, well, he, they've got machine learning in it, so it must be bad. No, no. So, okay. So I, I'm going to be totally honest now. I don't do talks in Northern Ireland anymore. Okay. 
So I was on the um, program committee for Strata Data for O'Reilly for London, San Jose, and New York. Okay, and the three are totally different. The talks are totally different. The themes are totally different. Um, how they're approached are to is totally different. Okay, um, and I can sniff out vendor pitches from a mile off, and I, it does my heart so good to actually turn talks down by Google and go, nah, it's a vendor pitch, forget it, you know? So when it came, and actually for NIDC, I did mine yesterday and looked through everything. And there's some good ones in there. There's some good ones in there, but that's all I'm saying. I'm trying to be positive. But the interesting thing is with, with meetups, um, everyone sort of went, oh, Jace, you're, you're in Lemavadi. So you can come to all these meetups now, can't you? And it's like, to be honest, I've not seen anything that interesting I want to attend. You know, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm probably halfway, if not responsible for, but have facilitated most of the meetups in Northern Ireland at some point. And I'm sick to death of them. And it, it's, it becomes a treadmill where you're kind of going right oh fuck need to organize a couple of speakers for next week oh need to have a nice mix between entry level and mid-level and higher level need to introduce something that's new need to rotate so certain it, numbers of venues need to uh... so it, so has it just can become conveyor belt then because See, the thing inter is interestingly the one of the most responded blog posts i got and people don't respond to me in comments they tend to just dm me instead was a blog post i did that said you don't have to do a tech talk and everyone just went oh thanks you know it was like oh we've been pressured by our employer we had to do it we have to do this we have to do the other outreach recruitment yeah exactly that's but what that, it is and they're forced honest, into though, but but that side of it for me is that not really that interesting when people are being forced into it by their employer right it's awful right around it is shit right you know honestly no one should ever be forced to do something and i think i, I find that kind of frustrating and again like this dates back to this call but you know again dating back decades where we had people who were who they're has austin gone really quiet for you yeah, yeah, I was going to say, is that mine? Austin, I think your audio is fucked. Brilliant. Let's carry on with that. You guys um, talk on with it. I mean, on, on vaguely where Austin was heading with that, I mean, one of the... I, I was on with Lloyds earlier talking about um, Farset stuff. They have one of these things where it's, oh, we are going to graciously give um, two hours of our time to support a charity, which is great. Um, um, however, it did end up with me basically talking about all of the weird shit that's happened in Farset's history over the past 10 years. Um, and one of the things that it reminded me of was that you're only really talking about this meetup bubble in the past six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Eight years ago, you could not go to a professional technical gathering that wasn't either a conference or a meetup in the pub where you just talked about it in a completely unstructured way. It was just, and you know, it was primarily social and that's fine. But there was no way to do anything from a community level that was inter-employer. 
um, that internally the big employers would maybe have some kind of user group for technologies or whatever where they'd book a conference room for a while. And then it, other cities got this before us, but then eventually Belfast, we ended up with Farset where we had a very strong community that it was free to use blah, or available to use and blah, 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 blah. And then the employers worked out that this was a shooting gallery and that, you know, you put on a couple of talks that look like they're a meetup. And people will come, you feed them, feed them beer and pizza and they will feed you CVs. Yeah, you um, give me one beer and cold pizza, forget it. Well, I, I'm, I'm not picking on that one. What I'm actually picking <laughs> on is that it, it's kind of related to what Austin was talking about and just what you were talking mm. about in terms of the, the, the meetups for the sake of having meetups, meetups for the sake of a treadmill, as opposed to the good old days, whenever it was, I've been fucking around with this really weird piece of technology and I would like either some help or to show off a bit. And one of the things that I think is missing from an awful lot of the meetups, and it kind of goes back to the point, Jane, about uh, people, um, how would you put it, uh, being pushed to be positive, um, that with the smaller, more social, more less professional meetup groups, it's a lot easier to talk about fuck-ups it's a lot easier to talk about, I tried this thing, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, does anyone see any flaws in what I'm, what my approach is? And it kind of, for me, with a little bit of an academic background, it reminded me of like halfway decently managed seminars. And the thing is that you have to be in a very, very, very specific class, age, and group of people to be able to experience the collaborative peer learning that you get from those kind of seminars. and wouldn't it be lovely if we could scale that out to the rest of the world? So I've, I've deliberately stuck my AI and I logo in the background here. Because you know, you're a sellout. I'm a sellout. I'm hopefully going to post this on the AI. <laughs> but you know, for me, the whole meetup thing is, and this is the thing, and again, I'm curious to get what you guys think about how we move forward with this kind of stuff thing. With AI and I, for me, the biggest thing was honestly just trying to build community, right? Yep. So when I looked at what was happening with meetups, um, I came up as a biologist, right? So Jane, you know, you're not from kind of similar background. I came up working in a lab and did bioinformatics and, and meetups didn't exist, right? There's no such thing as anything like what they have in the tech community in the world for biology. And when I first sort of experienced meetups and what the whole thing was about, I just thought this is really cool, right? It's a really nice way for people to meet each other. And I've, I've thankfully not really had, I've, I've been to a few where I've sort of seen, as you said, it's like conveyor belt CV thing as a recruitment process. Um, and I remember one of the meetups that we were doing, and I actually asked, show hands with like 120 people in the room. And I was like, can I show hands from anybody who's currently looking for a job? And not a single person put their hand up. And I went, this is really fucking cool because I'm glad that we've got a bunch of people who are not here looking for their next job. And I know there are a few people here in the room who are looking to recruit people, but nobody cares. You're not interested. That's cool. We're here to talk about interesting shit. And I think that ability to build a network and you know we get some interesting talks it's cool but ultimately the cool thing for me about the meetups was everybody got together met people talked to other people working in the same sectors or working in the same sort of general area and got to have a conversation with them right which you don't get 
otherwise. Austin, lean back again. Lean back again. You're putting the I in A-I-N-I. <laughs> how it works. I'll turn it off. Sorry, did we have to do a costume change here? I'm just looking at Andrew. Oh, no. I mean, if we're going to go sell out, then I may as well sell out to the one that actually pays me. <laughs> J J Jane, I'm, I'm not doing a costume change. I've run out of shirts. It would end really badly. No, Hold on, I mean, Jane. Like, a minute. But you no, know, I'm, it's really I'm, nice, Austin, you know, and it kind of picks up on what Andrew says, and this is something you wouldn't get in academia. It's like having meetups which just focus on things that have gone wrong. You know, as in, like going back to Andrew's, you know, things I tried which didn't work. There are no journals that do that. You know, you know, things... A, a the reproducibility crisis is real. <laughs> I mean, I, I did that a couple of weeks ago for Confluent, who are the commercial arm of Kafka. Um, and I did Cleveland, Ohio. So I was talking at 11 o'clock at night. I was knackered. And I was half cut. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> it's great. And it's actually a talk I've done before, but I expanded on it. Um, and I, it's, it, it's a talk I've done a couple of times over the last three years. But because it was really Kafka-based this time, I really went back and went okay so how would i do it this time knowing what i know now and the only reason i did the cleveland one was so i could say hello cleveland to see who got the joke um but you oh excellent um yeah exactly i, I I've, I've opened many talks with hello cleveland in many different locations and it's great watching the three people who get it falling off the chair in hysterics it's brilliant it's the best thing ever um but it was it's the disaster story it was how do i process 12 terabytes a day of of flight search data and we did get asked this question and we said yeah we can do it <laughs> without going we don't know how to do it but we'll figure it out and and we bled all over it oh it was dreadful and i rewrote it i rewrote it over the weekend because i was that annoyed with it um after having a bottle of wine I drank the bottle first and then recoded absolutely everything in completely different technology, fixed it, put it live, didn't tell my CTO anything, and then told him on Monday morning, oh, by the way, I've done this, and it's all working now. And he just went, oh, okay, cool. Um, Easy to say that whenever it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was it, what um, was it Austin was showing there? Um, the then? Journal of Irreproducible Results. Is it, but that's a paper title. It's not an actual. No, it's in the psychiatric bulletin. There is actually a journal that is literally dedicated to focusing on people who have not been able to reproduce results. So it is. It, it's not so much uh, a journal of things that we put up. It's a journal of stuff that people have published and other people have gone in and validated that this is just total bullshit. And then ah, get you. So it's like a peer, it's a post-publication peer review almost. I believe so, yes. But it's, it's, it's been, I remember reading about a lot of it years ago and it's really interesting. Holy shit, I did not think it was that old. No, it, it, yeah, 1955. The replication crisis has been around, again, it, it, there's been a huge big buzz around this in social science and psychology recently, particularly around this whole reproducibility and replication crisis. And it's an interesting one to come back to the whole data machine learning element of it. You know, part of the biggest challenge that's been seen within the social sciences or within psychology particularly 
is that the studies they do are inherently biased, right? So the people who they recruit are a representative of a certain subsection of the population. And so they get these really interesting things that just do not replicate, they do not expand, they don't work across the entire society. And so it's all basically around sampling, right? So <clears throat> mentally, I think this is one of the challenges in science more broadly, is it's always thinking about sampling, right? We've seen this so many times. You, You've seen this in cancer research side of things constantly. You know, it's always about sampling error. It's what you're actually looking at and what that tells you, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's also what information that you have about the data sets, you know, that you have recorded about the patients. I mean, it's, it's like the winner's curse. You know, somebody's chasing a gene or a protein, you know, that they find in a, in a you know, uh, in a very small experiment or in some very dodgy, you know, uh, in silico analysis and they spend their lives chasing this bloody gene but they don't ever question was that were the re initial results right you know because it's a self-promotion thing as opposed to standing back like scientists going you know did i get that right first time maybe we need to validate it you know? i mean this is the kind of thing where i'm really scared whenever somebody turns around and says i'm going to tell you about machine learning and data science without any statistics and i'm going what how the fuck are you going to teach anything without having the statistical um, parachute of effectively going, here's how you test to see if the thing that you're finding is an actual fucking effect and not noise. Um, mm. And the, the fact that we've become complacent with just going, here's a, here's a toolkit, just take, take data, import CSV, turn it into data frame, give to framework, and then uh, here's how to serve it on a multi-node Kubernetes instance across multiple regions, blah, 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 blah. And then you kind of go, but was at any point, did you assess what good looked like? What, what decisions were real? Um, mm. And, no, and, and setting up, nobody talks about setting up monitoring frameworks for um, decision support tools. Or, sorry, Whoa. very few people talk about setting up monitoring frameworks for decision support tools because, I mean, for instance, we're stepping into an interesting world where we're drifting from, um, so I, I was fortunate slash unfortunate enough to be brought into my role where the role didn't exist before. So it's a completely greenfield team and it's being spawned off from the engineering organization where it's, we did machine learning stuff within engineering and we now recognize that we need to put some bumpers around this and give it its own bubble, which to be honest, even that thought process itself was one of the reasons why I took the company's call because that's relatively progressive. Um, and the, the whole concept of actually delivering machine learning models to somebody else and then they're responsible for making sure it runs on that day. You're, st you're still responsible for making sure that it's fucking right, but they're responsible for it to be on the day, running on the day. And yes, that famous AI or bullshit, if then else, um, is... I didn't even it, know that existed. Oh, no, no, no. That was literally part of my interview. That was, I, I made that part of my interview where any, any sufficiently advanced AI is indistinguishable from a stash of if then else. Hold on, that is that not? Oh, right, so. are... oh. <laughs> anyway, Jane, are you on Twitter? Yes, I am, but under a different, um, but under an assumed name. Ah. So for the audience on Spotify, 
the difference between machine learning and AI, if it's written in Python, it's probably machine learning. If it's written in PowerPoint, it's probably AI. And yeah, so for the audiences listening that don't have audio, this is AI under slash or under slash bullshit on Twitter and it's well. If they don't have audio, then what? They're knackered. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's made my evening. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think going back to what um, Austin was saying, I mean, I think a lot of the focus now is on the tools. You know, whether it's, you know, whether it's, oh, we're using a neural net. Oh, is it deep learning? Uh, and are we going to massively parallel process it? And, you know, how many nodes do you use? And nobody, the focus has gone away from, is the data suitable? You know, it's like if I was studying rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you know, you've got a skew towards women with rheumatoid arthritis. So if I have a data set that is 80% men, I know there's something up. So you've got to know your population. You've got, now this is regardless of whether it's patients or whether it's finance, how can you know that what, who you've sampled from you is have to of the overall population? Then you get into missingness. You know, can your method cope with missing data? Can your method cope with erroneous data? You know, so you've got all of those things, but it's going back to, it's, it's like the focus is on the things that you throw onto the data. The fo you know, it's almost like these tools can cope with dodgy data. I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier on. I mean, so with the supermarket data I work with, this is going back to 2002. Um, it was always tacit domain knowledge. So you'd always have an expert sat in the room with you. And you have to. You can't just... And, and that's been the interesting thing, watching over the last 12 months where the whole AI conversation has, you know, sort of ramped up and businesses are going, oh, yeah, we can do AI. Well, <laughs> can you? You know, how are you going to do that? And it's like, well, first of all, have you got the data? Oh, no, but... Well, no, if you ain't got the data, then it's not happening. Oh, but I read somewhere. Okay, uh, well, hang on, let's step it back a bit. This is not going to work. And you sticking on SageMaker is not going to solve your problems, and it's not going to save your business. Uh, it's all of that kind of thing. And interestingly, there was a Bell Tech a couple of years ago where someone pulled me to one side and said, can we have a chat? And it's like, yeah, sure. Uh, and he went, I worked for... And... Um, so the data scientists, there's two teams. There's the machine learning engineering team and there's the data science team. And I said, hold on a second, can I guess this one? And you went, yeah. I said, okay, so your data science team are writing it in Python and you're deploying it in Java. And you <laughs> went, absolutely. <laughs> and I said, and tell me, the Python jobs are running out of memory on the nodes that you're running them on because they just blow out. And you went, how do you know all this? And I said, because I've come across it hundreds of times. See, did it, right, I, I, I'm a Pythonista, so I, I will come rush to Python's defense for about 30 seconds and then go... Okay, you rush on, to Python's defense for 30 point. seconds. Yeah, but, that, but, but then that's not the point. The programming language should not matter. It if shouldn't. The if the programming language matters, then there is something wrong with what you're doing and you can be replaced by a small shell script or transpiler. Um, and the, Jason and I have had conversations many, about this many over the years. 
And my attitude is the the best language is the language that gets the person making the decisions the most understanding in the shortest amount of time. Uh, you can then turn around and completely throw all of that uh, Pythonic or whatever exploratory understanding out the window and then re-implement it in a language that is actually designed for performance. Yeah. Um, and this this idea that there should be religions around implementation languages is fucking horrifying, to be honest. It's, it's, it's you know... Um, the the idea that there's one language to rule them all is you know ridiculous. Well, that's a lot of crap anyway. I don't really yeah. agree with that. But it goes back to what Jane was saying. It's, there's there's the, the the big four have all got platforms that you just shovel any old shit up to, and people are expecting the oracle to just give them answers, and they're usually wrong. Can we agree though that MATLAB sucks? No, well, MATLAB does so, but we kind of no, know that anyway. No, 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 I'm actually, I, I, um, uh, 10 ah, years you, ago, me is tell kind of shit can, all over me. You can tell he's got a PhD. No. He starts defending MATLAB like that, he's getting really defensive. No, no, right, so this, <laughs> that, that's kind of the point, right? Because if you turn around and go, oh, oh, right, all those academic languages, they're fucked. Why would you ever want to deal with them? Um, I was fortunate enough to work with um, some physicists at the National Physical Laboratories who had been doing the modeling of chip scale atomic clocks. So basically matchboxes that you could take to the bottom of the Marinara's Trench and would still give you perfect time. And all of their internal modeling tools were done in MATLAB. But, and this is where it comes to a backhanded slap, um, because of Python's fantastic ecosystem of collaboration and open sharing, um, there, was, there was frameworks that allowed me to basically directly import their MATLAB models and use them in my simulations and basically cross-validate their ones. So there's nothing wrong with the language, it works for this target audience. But the more interesting thing is what happens in those interfaces and whether those things can be shared openly and fairly. I think it's whether they're free. Whether it's open science and whether you've got contributors going to it. Well, the reason why I teach in R and why I was dragged kicking and screaming to R was because it was free. Yes. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, because people, students have said to me, why aren't you teaching an SPSS? Why aren't you teaching an SAS? Why not MATLAB? And I was like, well, look, I can teach you in that. But you have no, you, you will need a license. Are you prepared to pay whatever it is for a license once you leave this course? Because you're stuck. So it's the Microsoft trap. Yeah. Well, to be honest, that's why I, I mentioned MATLAB, and again, I, I assume we'll get sued by MathWorks for this. But you know, the thing that kind of bugs me, I remember at one point having a couple of folks on my team, and most of the people were using R, and we brought in a very senior person who only used MATLAB. And I found myself in a position of having to pay for a license um, for the work he was doing on his laptop that came to a total of about seven grand, and everyone else was doing the same work for free. And so it's when you get to that kind of thing, it's, it's funny where you're in that interesting situation where it's considered an academic language, but that's because it's given to academics for free. And as soon as they move into industry, all of a sudden companies have to start paying massive sums of money for the licenses for this. It's, it's like they know. For free elsewhere. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I've only experimented a bit with MATLAB, but it was like learning Mandarin after having learned R. It was like, okay, this is all backwards. The last time I looked at MATLAB, I had to convert a load of MATLAB functions that were all cricking functions, they're interesting, um, into closure. And it was to measure the it was to measure the differences of a bunch of sensors on a certain um, road bridge. And in fact, I'm astonished that we've made it this far into the discussion without you mentioning closure. So just cost the closure. Oh, also, I, I, oh that got me right there, that did Austin. Right, right, okay. Is this an end joke between you three? No, I'm the only person in Northern Ireland that pro pro probably programs in closure. Right, okay. You're the only person that doesn't have a neck beard in the world that doesn't that program closure. <laughs> well, actually, there's a question I was going to ask you and Andrew is that the reason you both have beards is it because the blades get blunt after you've shaved your head? Yes. Ooh. Oh, oh, right. Okay. No, it's that, not after the head. It's just that you, you've, got, you've, got, you've got three choices and you can only shave two. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh right. Okay, that's been edited. Okay. <laughs> Who's oh, the shit. editor? Oh, I'm this is starting to get into a bit of a boys' club, all right? I, I, I'm fucked. There we go. Um Here, uh, and nobody else brought up appearances. Anyway, Jane, Jane, Clojure is one of the programming languages that not many people use unless they like functional mathematics. Or a pile of brackets were left in a corner for a while. Is it That's sort it. of like Fortran or Google? Or? It's like Lisp. Lispy, yeah. It's Lispy, it's very Lispy. Whose phone's that? Go and get an answer. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's Andrews. Uh, are, you, are you on call, Andrew? Because I'm not. Oh God, no. <laughs> Why don't, for the next couple of podcasts, we do a series of very, very loose themes? As opposed to planet. <laughs> I'm just thinking because I'm aware Austin has tried to kind of provide a bit of a framework, you know, with yeah, he does that. But you know, sometimes yes. I mean, you can start off with a theme, but beer, that's fine. Well, there, there was one little thing, just while everyone else was sharing shit around, uh, I thought would be entertaining. Policy-o-matic, right? Whenever we had, uh, what was the one that was uh, the, the AI or bullshit? Yeah. This is an entertaining one because this is actually, uh, I think it's uh, GPT-1, um, but it is a 100% auto-generated tweets that look like policy statements. Hang on um, a second. I mean, I mean, I I was doing Northern Ireland Assembly yeah. questions yes, yes. with Markov chains. Well, I I think this is actually of the same ago. pedigree. I I do believe this is of the same pedigree because I came across it because I was in Liverpool and with open data at yeah. that. Well, no, I mean that's the fun one. Is that um, there are so many people who shall we say seem to or give the effect of giving a shit about open data in politics but that don't know the names or uh, aims is a thing uh, where we've got access to a shit ton of how our politicians actually speak 
Um, and yeah, I always thought it was very strange that we didn't end up with more um, uh, Arlene bots and Michelle bots. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's a, that's, a, that's a nice segue into something that I haven't chatted you. Uh, always, always the chairman. You're wearing the t-shirt, open data. Where do you think we're at at the moment in Northern Ireland with open data? Oh, wow. Can I take this one just for a second? We've gone backward. I've been in active argument with the Department of Finance, quietly-ish, uh, loudly sometimes and then quietly-ish, over COVID. Quite loud. Over COVID because this was the biggest opportunity to demonstrate the power of tell people numbers. This would have been a way to inform people and explain, you know, what's happening in the real world um, and provide dickheads like me the opportunity to make pretty graphs. Um, and they fucked it. Honestly, they fucked it. Um, I made a Python package that roughly modeled um, the uh, both NISRAs and the Department of Health's statistical reports and turned them into nice, pretty data frames that a that a novice could use to make graphs or dashboards and work out what whether the world was going to implode that day. The challenge was that every couple of days, some other dickhead had a better idea and they changed the format of the reports. They changed column names. They rearranged columns for arbitrary reasons. They would just completely change the file names of endpoints, not related to date, but literally going um, death underscore rates underscore new dot docx. And I'm going... <laughs> Um, so I gave up on it, and I, I, I have frankly stopped giving a shit I'll, because, yeah. I'll be honest, the reason I gave up with open data in Northern Ireland, they kept aggregating things. They wouldn't give me raw data. So for context, I've been on the, or I was on the Department of Finance's Open Data Advisory Board, and this was the topic that happened every meeting and that nothing ever got done about it. Um, because... Sorry, Austin. I, no, sorry, I'm just saying I was on that advisory board too, and it just made the tail off. Yeah. And whilst I don't want to be seen to be necessarily overly critical, I do think the open data strategy in Northern Ireland has kind of fallen to the wayside. Because it's not a priority. It never was. Uh, if, it was well, last time round, whenever there was an executive the last time round, whenever they were pretending to govern the last time round. This time round, they're basically putting shit on fires and hoping that it's not catching more fire. So there's no actual policy around open data. But the other thing is that that isn't an impediment. I mean, AIMS that we were talking about, or I was talking about earlier, was constructed during the previous previous time that Sormon shot itself. Um, and it was literally because with the executive away, what was the tech staff going to be doing? So they spent their time developing a portal that was able to expose the history of Stormont at the time. And I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that whenever the, you know, whenever the cats away, the hens can play, um, we can build stuff. The problem is that it takes 
certain personalities and certain individuals within the public sector to be able to pull this shit off and make differences. I mean, um, Austin, I assume that's you, has pulled up the Open Data and I portal. And I love the team behind this. The team are fantastic, but they are middle Absolutely. people. They are middle people. They are trying to encourage. So you've come across one of the prettier search results because health has been relatively well done. People outside of data science don't understand how fucked naming conventions are and how fucking important they are. I do. Yeah, the, the, the prescribing data is good. Yes. Sorted it by vast modified. Are you seeing anything here in relation to COVID, coronavirus? There's infectious diseases was right up at the top, wasn't it? Notable ones. I wonder if COVID's a notable infectious disease or notified. Sorry. Second screen. 2020 week 26. If it's not in there, there's a problem. Oh, I wonder if you can actually view it online. Okay. Dysentery. No, it's not there. Anthrax. You missed the C's. So, yeah. That's I a mean, cracker. A lot of stuff been happening here in Northern Ireland. We are in a pandemic. And again, like, I'm, I'm with you, Andrew, to reinforce. The, the team behind Open Data and I are fantastic, but the, the hmm. fact this that we're not creating open data, and you know, like the dashboard is updated on a daily basis, right? You the know, Power we, BI dashboard that it's impossible to take data from. Whether we can, not making any comment on that. I mean, it, the dashboard gives us the information. Public Health England supplies a different set of information. It's available via gov.uk. The two data sets don't seem to match really well, but fundamentally, at least from gov.uk, you can actually download that information, whereas we don't seem to be able to do that in Northern Ireland. And again, I, I we did for a while. I can't understand why that data isn't available here. You know? I'd be worried, actually, about the data that's coming. I mean, oh, yes, I mean, we, we get the updates in 6 o'clock news, you know, X number of cases, X number of deaths. But I think for statisticians, data scientists, we will be more to the fore in a couple of years' time when the full data and follow-up is provided on the COVID cases. Yeah, but... If too much is focused on do they need... Well, I mean, if I was a patient, I'd want to know if I was going to need to be ventilated or whatever. But there's so many side effects long-term COVID cases now mm -hmm. that, you know, that, okay, somebody may need to go on a ventilator, but they may fully recover. It's the ones that are kind of going under the wire, which are out with chronic fatigue. You know, it, it's really, it's like the full data is, is not available. And we've got a, a run, a clatter of papers about COVID prediction models. And I don't think the data is mature enough for us to do anything with, because we still have final outcomes. No, it's it really not. isn't. But the, the thing is that, how, how do you put this nicely? Um, we're the fucking ugly duckling. Um, so I've raised this, I, I think, is this on screen or am I fucking up? Yeah, it's sure? on screen, mate. It's on yeah. screen. So a um, friend of mine actually runs the, or used to run the London Hacks Space and now runs EMF camp. Um, basically just put together on his own back, completely unrelated to Northern Ireland, doesn't give a shit about Northern Ireland, um, doesn't give a shit about anything outside his own locality, but because the data was open and available, is able to have a live COVID map down to the county level, it looks like. 
right? But as occasions, Northern Ireland is completely blank. Uh, Russ basically flamed this out. He didn't even comment on it. He didn't care about it. He has no vested interest in Northern Ireland whatsoever, so no one would expect him to have any comment. I jump on, and it's literally because the endpoints are boring and fucked. He went and had a nosy to see if there was a better way of getting the Northern Ireland data because while he's got everything else, it would be a reasonable assumption that he could get the same thing in a sensible format or similar format. But he couldn't. He made the effort. He tried. It he wasn't a, it. Yeah, it wasn't a private contract or it wasn't a government contract. It was just a motivated individual wanting to learn more about the world. Uh, in an instant. Whether it's clinically relevant, as you say, is only really going to be known in six months, eight months, ten months time. This was so, just somebody wanted to make a pretty map and they had to leave out part of the UK because of it. Okay, okay, so the, the simple fact of the matter is, in terms of open data, and I, sorry Jane, um, is oh, this... Well, I, I, I pointed at Jane, so Jane Sorry, has a right to respond. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, absolutely. Go ahead. What I would really like to do in a couple of years' time, I think it's even going to be later than eight months. I think it's going to be a couple of years and we start to see what the true impact of, of this virus is on health. But I would love to do a COVID infection association with voting preferences. Um, you know, and general, I was going to say IQ, but that's not really fair. Um, but I'm just thinking overall, globally, you know, when you look at, um, I mean, there's a focus on, you know, people, you know, from particular areas or particular ethnicities, are they more, more at risk? Are men more at risk of developing it? And once they do get it, are they, you know, do they get the worst version of it? Having said that, when I've been in my local shops and I've been masked up, it's the blokes who aren't masked. You know, so I would be, but again, that data is incomplete. You know, that is, it's worrying. And that's why I kind of steered away from a lot of this. Because I know a lot of people are making, you know, oh, right, I can get first authorship on a paper here. And I'm just, you know, I mean, things like this are good in terms of, do you stay away from Macrofelt today? Because there's a cluster. I think that's important, but it's also dependent on how well... Why would you need an excuse? I was going to say, do you need COVID for that? But I tried to book a test yesterday, and the system was down. I couldn't get a drive-in, or I couldn't get a kick sent out to me. Oh, yeah, you've basically got two months to wait. It's going to depend on who's been tested and who's been reported symptomatically. And because we're learning so much, you know, the symptoms change as well that have been recognised. You know, um, a lot of stuff coming from Italy in terms of the frostbitten toes that kids experience. Kids experience it differently. Um, maybe more gastrointestinal symptoms, almost like gastric flu. And the neurological symptoms are, are no, not symptoms. After effects are really the horrifying ones because even asymptomatic carriers are being identified with neurological impacts. Yeah, it, it's just, um, so people who haven't been tested, what, what we need is full testing here, which is never going to bloody happen. Um, because let's sweep it under the carpet and get people back to work, you know, um, or people like eating as well. You know, it's like, right, okay, the restaurants make a bit of money, but when people start bloody dying, you know. Oh, yeah, but it's no more than the common flu, so no, it's fine. Yeah. 
things like this are, are fine in terms it gives you some kind of confidence about you know when clusters start appearing or but how much you know for me as a getting towards an old fogey it's 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 important but whether it's the 20 year olds you know the ones who are coming back to university actually make any note of this what, what quantifies an old fogey jane all of the people. Um, I'm not going to reveal ages here. <laughs> well, I'm 48. So. I think that counts as PII, so you know we'd have to get consent screens yeah, and things like that. Stops. I, right, I'm, wor I'm working on the theory that I'm the eldest. I'm just not going to confirm or deny that. No, no, no. I don't expect. So let's don't let's not start stack ranking. Right, this, this could get complicated. But I mean, on, on, Austin's brought up the NI COVID tracker, which is fantastic. Except, and Austin, do you want to take five seconds to predict what I'm going to complain about? No, honestly, I, the only reason I pulled this up is um, again, I know the guys in the university have actually done a really good job of this. And again, yeah. going back to the point that you made, where like the dashboard is being put out by DOH, it's great. It, it actually does give the information that's needed. It's a bit difficult to navigate, but fundamentally, guys in Ulster at least have made the effort to pull down this data and develop their own thing that actually seems to tell us more information and I actually prefer this dashboard. Um, it's great, I only learned about it by accident and I think it might have actually been off one of your retweets so I'm not sure but it might so be. Where but did this come from? This it's is, Ulster. Yeah, University of Ulster have done this. And, uh, okay, so where did the data come from? This is but again, fundamentally, the only point I was going to raise is the fact that these guys are having to scrape this information. This should just be in open data NI. Why is it not? So here's the crazy thing, right? Uh, I don't think the license, question. the license under um, DOH does not explicitly say that it's open data. It, and oh. the thing is that the problem is that by default, any data is any data released by government departments is. Um, what do you call it? Royal, whatever the 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 default royal order, copyright, whatever. So it's supposed to be for government only. So you can use it, whatever, but you can't use it for anything that might be potentially commercial without a separate license. But there's two things that I wanted to flag up on the the fantastic work done by the Ulster team. They've done the hard yards to make the data presentable in a nice dashboard format. However, in my opinion, they fucked up by not leaving a endpoint, a data button that the rest of us can go and But can they, can they do that? This is the question. Can they show the numbers without showing the data? Well, they probably can't. They're scraping it, so they don't want to say they're scraping it. So then what difference in legality does it make that they're showing the numbers but not the data? Well, I mean, uh, ultimately, looking at those graphs, my first question is, are they true? If they're scraping it, where are they scraping it from? Uh, I don't know that, which goes back to my question, um, which um, the Jane had the right to answer, um, was in terms of NISRA, and NISRA linked with open data to provide data to them, or is it all Crown copyright? Oh, you don't want to start with NISRA. Um, but, yeah, but that's the problem. That's the source of the data. If you actually look at the gov.uk site, this for me um, is a perfect example of how this stuff should be. Right? We can look here specifically testing in Northern Ireland. We can download the data as CSV, as JSON, as XML. We can look at the raw data itself, cumulative, daily, 
you know, the information's all in there and we can download the data. And honestly, for me, this is when it comes down to when we put any kind of data public that is important or relevant, this is exactly how we should be putting it out. All right, well, and when we don't exactly put it out like this, the first question is to ask, what are we so scared of? Well, no, that, uh, you're right, but I would argue with a certain amount of sympathy uh, because an awful lot of the time whenever people are suggested or recommended to open up their data, the first response is, but what if it's wrong? Um, oh, um, no, no. The, the, the first conversation with open data is, does it still have any commercial value? If it has, then it doesn't become open data. I, I have to say, from a, from a local government perspective, outside of a particular department that is responsible for ground and buildings, um, outside of them, everyone else has been absolutely on board from a philosophical standpoint on openness and transparency. Yeah. What they're fundamentally resistant to is exposure of mistakes and honest, honest, unintentional oh. mistakes because yeah. they think that once it's recorded, it is therefore stuck forever as opposed to the grand old world where you could just tweak it and just go, ah, right, let's pretend that didn't happen. Yeah, Whatever. I mean, that's exactly what happened anyway. We, we had all this with Code for Pizza 10 years ago with a certain transport company within yes. Northern Ireland. They're actually behaving very nicely these days. So actually, I, I, I would normally be the first person to attack them, and I'll put it this way. I'm, I, I'm not, not attacking, attacking them. them. I understand their position. No, no, they've actually genuinely got better. They've been dropping yeah, open data all over the shit. It's great. It's unfortunately 10 years too late, but it's still great. Yeah, but, but did you not do, a, I, I can't remember what it was, a talk or a workshop, which was basically highlighting how the whole purpose of... Everything's fucked, yeah. ...is that people like you can go in and point out the issues so that people can fix it. You know, it's a citizen science call to action, right? Give us the data, we'll show us what's wrong with it, and we can help you, and you can fix it. That's the whole fucking point. And it's that bounce back. I, I think one of the challenges is that one of the early inroads into data science was data, data journalism. Um, and I, in retrospect, I think that might have been a contentious approach because it was... From a public policymaker's perspective, it was how do you bring to bear the global wealth of statistical knowledge and mathematical adjudication to see if I fucked up? Yeah, but um, then does it all come back to like Jess? You made the point if you unfortunately find yourself listening to Nolan. I think this is part of what we find here in Northern Ireland is nobody wants to end up on Nolan. Nobody wants to release data that results in them getting reported on the Stephen Nolan show. Which is very true. Listening, right, you know, which he definitely is. But, you know, like, this is the thing, we're in that, we do, we have a bit of a blame culture in Northern Ireland. And I mean, in all fairness, I still don't know if Cecilia Daly wants to lynch me. <laughs> she got a hit out on you? I think she has. It depends on what's in that ring. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 oh, can I, can I dig the slide? No, it's, it's on a different machine. I basically said that the tears of Frank Mitchell were contained in one of Cecilia Daly's ring. 
in a slide. Right. Okay. I'll 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 email it to you. Uh, see, this is a fun thing because none none of the decision making sect give a shit about any of our lot's existence at all. Exactly. The political class, the high media class, do not know the the shits that we give or the fucks that we share. We 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 don't know. They they don't know. So our concerns around the ethical use of data are a little bit screaming into the wind. Well, actually, number 10 did advertise recently for a data scientist type person. Well, so, so Dominic Cummins could say he was wrong, or they were wrong, yeah, sorry. It was no, it, was it not specifically that the job requirements basically said you need to be gobbles? And, no. and, 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 and your name needs to be Peter Thiel. I did look at it and think, I'm going to apply for this just for the shits and giggles. I would have been too though. I mean, I didn't go through it. I sent it to my old PhD supervisor and she looked at it and went, that's just intelligent nonsense because it was clearly written by a person who hadn't a merry mood as to what modeling was or any sort of statistical approach. It was just hand-wavy, buzzwordy stuff. And I thought, they're going to get an umpty in there. You know, he's going to be Cummings approved. I mean, Cummings did ancient and modern history, but he thinks he's a bloody expert in AI. You know, that's why, and in science, that's why he's on the stage committee. He is just a wannabe. He is a mathematical wannabe. He, you know, for whatever reason, went down the arts route, but God love him, he just so badly wants to be a nerd. And that's what a lot of this has been controlled by, you know, in terms of whether it's data analysis, whether it's presentation of results, whether it's advice in terms of what we do, how we, you know, isolate or confine our, our stuff to households or how often we shop. It's been, you know, controlled by somebody who knows about the Greeks. So, I've got... Important. No, Jane, carry on. I'm no, I've got a, a, a slight... <laughs> segue to add in that I think I suspect everyone will be able to have a rant on as we're talking about randomly named uh, people coming in with the idea that they can project data science onto everything and make decisions did anyone have a look at Palantir's SEC filing I did the bit where they basically say yeah we'll do anything as long as we think it's ethical yeah yeah it's quite scary reading actually all of it so this is a company that I, I wouldn't even want to speculate on a valuation because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, they've been the uh, military and government complexes for the Western world's version of data scientists for hire. Their, their, their job and their capability is to take shit ton of data, turn it into advice. That's more or less it. Um, their interactions that I've been privy to have been, uh, shall we say, deep and wide. Um, and are, from a technical perspective, they are good at what they do, as long as you don't consider ethics at all. Oh, ethics? Sorry, does that actually come into it? Well, this is the question. It's only the SEC. All right, no then you bioinformatics or looking at doing a bioinformatics kind of course um like a professional development one and one of them i tend to weave ethics within each 
module, but this time it's like I want ethics up front and center because there's no way you can analyze data and not think about ethics. You know, there's yeah. this idea that it's only the, you know, the scalpel wielding, you know, treatment, treatment prescribing people need to think about ethics. For us as people analyzing data, you've got to think about the people that you're, you have data recorded about. You cannot, it, it, it's too simple to think, ah, it doesn't matter. I just, you know, do a bit of code here and away I go. I, I just w do worry about the ethical side of a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think it needs to be in terms of training. It's not just about the coding and, or it's about the modeling. It has to be about ethically, is this correct? It's like the way medics would have their own, you know, code that they need to sign up to. I think we need to sign up to a code as well. So oh God. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, e even so I'm, I'm relaunching a, a project that I've got desk hopper and you know there's a lot of collaborative filtering in there and even i'm sitting here going what if i get it wrong you know do i actually publish this i can disable it it's dead easy to disable you know but i would like matches to work you know and and it's simple stuff it's not like it's deep machine learning or anything like that it's just collaborative filtering it's just just and you know numbers but I'm still very tetchy about getting it wrong because I'm responsible. I wrote it, you know? But at the same time, I mean, it's going back to what Austin said about screwing up and, you know, nobody wants to make the first leap and say, here's our model based on this data. It's like, if you say, this is the best we can do with the data available and we use these methods on it, it's about open access, it's about accountability. And using this model, using this approach, we find X. However, Sorry. we are aware that we don't have factor X, factor Y, factor Z, and that may influence our results. So I think to me, science is based, you know, it's like incremental steps. It's like the way the symptoms have been updated in terms of COVID. You know, nothing stands still and you can't do it, but somebody's got to jump first and say, this is what I've done is to the best of my ability, somebody could take it apart and that's the risk you make. And it's so like I, I think one of the one of the differences between the actual operation of science and we, we like to say that science is an iterative thing where we go in these loops, but it doesn't go in a loop. It is many, many hundreds of thousands of people going in their own independent loops that are effectively informed by each other. So this idea that data science or AI or ML has to step through, okay, we'll do this full loop and then we'll do a grand review and then update things and then hope that it doesn't fuck up again next time is insane. It should be the case of, right, we have as many eyes as possible looking at these things and go, oh, I saw that you did this this way. Have you tried doing it this way? Because whenever I did it, it worked out quite nicely. Here's the results. Go play. And that open collaborative approach is Which what we need. really goes back to something interesting in terms of NHS data that Mastodon seeded years ago before I started working for them. I'm not working for them anymore. They open sourced their code for NHS prescription data because they had that many people going to them and saying, this is wrong. And they went, it's in GitHub. Go and look at it. If we're wrong, tell us. Hmm. I think 
me, that's also the same with the, any modeling approaches you do with that data, you know, because mm. it's just one version of the truth. I would never, yeah. I mean, you know, if I applied a regression approach to something and I applied an SVM approach and I applied random forest, I, there may be some elements that are overlapping. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, it's, it's just you turn the sphere, you know, and you may get, you know, uh, slightly different, you know, shades or it's still the same sphere, but you're looking at it in a slightly different way, you know, um, and there's, and that's what I'm trying to get across to students. Stats modeling only gets you so far. I mean, yeah, you can give somebody a p-value, that's fine. But in that in itself is not, you know, just says, well, you know, the chances of you screwing up, you know, have reduced, but it's still only answering, answering a particular hypothesis. So for all of this, it's still, we don't know what is the best way to analyze this data. We can only do that in terms of validation. Does it work on unseen data and does it keep working? But for me, it's that constant, well, it's what keeps me going improve improve all the time look back at some of my work and think oh my god what the hell was i thinking yeah and you just have to keep going um because if you don't why are you kind of doing you know really interesting i i had a meeting with a, a consultant i won't say who he was um and was it me uh, no it wasn't um because <laughs> if it was i'd be fucked um <laughs> i'm consultant well, i'm consultant <laughs> What type of consultant? You mean a, a like a business? Consultant I'm, or a medical no, consultant? no, 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 no. He's not a consultant. He's a very naughty no. boy. <laughs> so, so the reason they call me the house MD of big data, Jane, is because I've got a walking stick and a blue badge. Um, so I have, I had a a disc that was crushing my spinal cord, mm -hmm. but it was crushing it around about here, so it was kind of serious. Um, but everyone had diagnosed it far lower down, you know. So anyway, I saw this consultant and he said, right, let's talk about your neck. And I went, what? And he showed me the MRI scans and he said, your spinal cord looks like it's a garden hose that's been trodden on. And it was, I've got the photos. It's like that. It, it, it was literally a V shape. Mm. And he said, that disc's got to come out. I went, hey, hang on a second. <laughs> hang on, <laughs> I'm good. And he went, no, you're not. You're far from good. This is, this is bad. Um, I'm going to give you between five and 15 years before you're paralyzed from the neck down. It's like, okay. And he said, um, I need to tear that out. I went, great. Okay. What's the success rate? And he went 95%. Cool. What about the other 5%? He went, well, out of that 5%, 5% die. And the other and and it was like and just hearing that was just like yeah but okay let's get Bayesian on this uh we're kind of cool we're kind of cool we're kind of cool and well, I, was, I mean if okay, you're not cool you don't remember that it's a problem anyway you know what by that point I was in shock in all fairness but anyway um so I signed the paper he said sign here now and I went, what? He says, this is now an emergency operation. <laughs> um, I'm not putting my MRI scan up. I have got one. And there's a big red ring around where it's absolutely knackered. Um, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it was way up. No, no, this was C3, C4. This was bad. So did you go for the op? Oh, yeah, I did. 
Um, I had the op in 2014. I was in the middle of writing the book, the first edition of it. So that was fun. Um, yeah. Why the sorry, spine sorry. Loose? Um, sorry? Sponsored by fentanyl and morphine then? Um, yeah, it was. It was great. Morphine was fantastic. Um, so I had my yeah, <laughs> I was a mess. Um, so anyway, I had this disc removed. I, I, I saw the x-ray photo of the needle. It was about that long. Because <laughs> he went, oh, by the way, we're going through the front. We don't go in by the back. Um, yeah, up a bit. C3, C4. It was bad. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, so we were talking after the operation. And he said, you know, I gave you five to 15 years. I went, yeah. And he says, no, it was two. Jesus. He, he said, that was a ticking time bomb in your neck. And I went, oh, okay. I said, what are the chances? And he said, no, no, it wasn't good. Well, hold on. My question is that if that was his situation, why did he peg for 95? Because if he one number's for... made up, then the other okay, one's probably so made up. Okay, so interestingly, the morning of the operation, I asked him one question. I said, how many of these have you done? And he said, this would be the thousandth. And I said, okay, how many <laughs> have been successful? Give me a number better than 95. Yeah, exactly. And he said, all of them have been successful. I said, right, let's go do it. And that was that. I said, I trust you. Let's go. And anyway, it took, it, apparently it took them four attempts to get my neck back together because I've got a big neck, apparently. Neck on me? Um, but they saw my spinal cord decompress, apparently, which is apparently really funky. <laughs> See, the super fat makes this look so easy when he does final. It's not easy. Trust me. Just imagine that there's like a a shadow Snapchat (laughs) or TikTok or something where where (laughs) surgeons share these videos. (laughs) Before the anaesthetic, they said, have we got any any last requests? And I said, yeah, could you change it from Radio 2 to Radio 4 so I don't miss the Today program? And Furnace, I think that Gain's comment, neck on you, should be just the (laughs) Well, we've got a title for the podcast, or at least this episode. Yeah, I think that's it. Jason's yeah. knackered neck. Well, see, the thing is that if we wrap it up around about now, it means that people will have sat for the previous hour and a half wondering, why the fuck did they call it neck on you? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point to stop. It's, and it's, I, I realized I haven't even eaten dinner yet, so I should probably go get some food. Jesus, it's quarter to ten. Yeah, that snuck in fairly quickly. Yeah. I, I ate beforehand. I'm an adult. I know. I mean, I, even that is contentious. I know. But, you know, I'm an adult, apparently. I'm told. No, I mean, you're a functional adult, but that's mostly because of your language <laughs> choices. <laughs> what, what, broad Yorkshire? <laughs> well, I meant closure, but okay. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> So what are we going to do with um, this two-hour stuff? Do you think we can get five minutes out of it? Uh, it depends on how much blackmail you want. Um, the, the four of us saying hello and goodbye, does that really constitute as a podcast? I, I, I reckon uh, I'll take the, or I'll put the recording onto a shared Dropbox and uh, then we can hack away at it, but I reckon we pick some kind of random moment that was a bit um, high octane in the middle, put that at the front end, and then just basically lash into it. So you have small amount of here's what might be fun later. Put up with all of this bullshit first. 
Um, to be honest, we're going for a local audience that realistically the people who are going to dial into this who are going to, are going to know most of us anyway. Um, so we don't need an intro segment. Um, and then maybe slap some generic intro blurb onto it. Okay. Just you know what? Record, I would like to point out I'm on here as an individual, not on behalf of my employer. Absolutely Ditto. same here. I yeah. think that goes for everybody. Actually, yeah, no, no. we should probably do that as a recording right now that we can sort of spice in. Okay, do we want to do the shitty recording at the beginning? And I'm going to start at about five seconds ago whenever I do this. Um, but the shitty recording that says, uh, I am not my employer, hello, my name is, and um, I had for dinner today X. Right, that'll do. Um, okay. Austin, do you want to go first? Hi, my name's Austin Tani. Uh, I'm here as an individual, but my uh, most of what I'm saying is my, the expression of uh, the BBC. <laughs> I'm glad to say we managed to fuck it up at the first hurdle. Yes, <laughs> go ahead. Again, right? Um, uh, my name is Jason Bell. I, I wrote a book on machine learning. God knows why, but they let me do it. Um, and and I don't speak on behalf of anybody apart from myself. Nice. Let me read Thank you. you. That was that was. No, 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 right, Jane. Okay, I'm Jane Blaney. I play with data. I'm a man's stats computing person, um, and I'm here as an individual. Hello, I'm Andrew Buster, and I'm I am an individual. And this is going to be some fucked up podcast that makes absolutely no sense after the fact and is probably going to be a one-off. But hey, it's been fun. No, it's not well, no, going to be a one-off. There's well, a whole we'll series see. here. <laughs> There's a whole se- I've got nothing else going on in my life. I need something. <laughs> oh no, we're unlocking, so it might improve. No, I mean, even so, I don't leave the house. I work from home anyway. There's been no change in the last six months at all. But I like the way Austin was trying to guide, and that's why I was suggesting about big themes for each one. You know, if, if one time you're talking about, you know, data science and education, the next one's data science and medicine, and it doesn't, it may start out like that, but it can end up talking about any sort of crap. Jane, I love, I love that as a goal, but I am very cognizant of the fact that it took us a month and a half to arrange a date. Oh. I, I think we just wing it. I think it's fine. Okay. I think it was a lot of fun. I think we should just completely wing it. Let me redo my introduction. <laughs> you know what? You know I am going to stick this in Austin, so Austin, it's okay. It's okay, Austin. I'll do it for you. My name's Austin Tanny and I work for Kanos. No, fuck off. <laughs> that, 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 that's not a thing at all. So my introduction is something that follows. Right, hold on, Jess. Give him a give him the respect of silence. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna go on mute because I'll laugh. <laughs> My name is Austin Tani, and I honestly have no idea why I'm here. Perfect. Oh, That's the one. That's the take. <laughs> Personally, I you know, think you know that better. I've been talking. You know that I've been talking about the whole B rule thing. I've now worked out what the B rule is. It's this conversation. This conversation <laughs> is going to be at the very beginning of the entire fucking thing. No one's going to have any idea what the fuck we're talking about. And then it'll just launch into introductions and then the bullshit. 
So it's effectively backwards. Awesome. Why don't we just play the whole thing backwards? Then there'll be a court case. Perfect. Well, uh, whenever the devil rises. <laughs> when Ireland's free. <laughs> Which oh, Ireland? Totally fucking take that as the intro of the entire thing. Take that. Take that. That's, that's a 90s band. Take on me. Take on me. Right. This this needs to end soon. Otherwise, we're going to all be in trouble. Yep. This is well, right. Monthly dates. I'm just sticking to it. And then we do some reading beforehand. Go, I want to talk about this shit. Oh, yeah. By the way, GPT-3. Yeah. Walled garden. Beta testing. Load of shite. Fuck really me. doesn't do much. Let's talk about it more in the next one because the whole thing, I honestly get fucking pissed off at the fact that OpenAI is the least open organization I've ever fucking seen. I, it's, <laughs> the, the irony is not lost on me. So fucking ridiculous. But yeah, that could be a theme for next time. Now, yeah, that's it. Let's get some lads, 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 how about setting a date for the next four weeks? It Way gives, ahead of you. 6th of October. It gives Andrew a bit of time to try out. Okay. Sorry, did you say dry out? Dry out. He's not that bad. <laughs> Aren't we all? That's the entire fucking point. Yeah, I thought this was 